to Lord God for uh, just the opportunity to come to worship before you today. Uh, Lord God, I just uh, admit to you, I always feel better when I come into your house to worship you. I always feel so much better just to see uh, the brothers and sisters you have placed in my life, Lord God. So Father, I thank you for, uh, not only for your presence, but also for giving us the experience of worship today. True worship uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. For you said that we must worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, Father, we ask you that you would uh, uh, now take your word, Lord God, and accomplish what uh, you from eternity past, Lord God, have already decided would happen today. And even how you work with me uh, over the course of this week to get this message out. And now a new series, Lord God. So, uh, Father, may you just uh, love upon us and may we grab hold of your word with love and acceptance. Allow us that our lives may be changed before your presence, Lord God. Touch us deeply. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Elder Davis didn't go there today, but I, I will. People moving out. People moving in. Why? All because of the color of their skin. Run, run, run. But you show can't hide. An eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Rap on, brother. Rap on. Well, the only one talking about love thy brother is the preacher. And it seems like nobody's interested in learning but the teacher. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our nation. Ball of confusion. Oh yeah. That's what the world is today. Woo. <laughs> hey, hey. I try to make that as possibly as corny as I possibly could. I hope I succeeded. Uh, well... <laughs> I may, have to, I may have to sing that for somebody then. In that case, well, uh, the world is a confused mess anyway, amen? It's not that we're saying amen because this is what we want it to be. We're saying amen because it is a fact. And if you know what amen is, it simply is a word that simply means truly or you are telling the truth. In fact, confusion has even crept into the church. Uh, one thing interesting that I must add uh, about this message today that I have labored and I have told, told with this message all week long, uh, not this message, but asking the Lord, what is it that you want me to preach today? And as you know, as I typically prepare throughout the week, I had absolutely no message even when I went to bed Thursday night. Lord, as he began to work with me, 
this is what came out, clearing the confusion. This is what the Lord wants us to know. So there is confusion even in God's church today. In fact, uh, everybody's uh, interpretation and everybody's opinion of Scripture, somehow uh, it becomes valid. Well, what you're saying is true, and what you're saying is true, and what you, well, wait a minute, everybody, what everybody is saying, it cannot all be true. Because last time I checked in the word of God, that God had one intent. So because of that, it ushers in confusion, even in the church. One of the main reasons that there's so much confusion in the church, quite frankly, is because of our failure not to dig into God's word. It's a fact that we talk a lot of talk, but yet at the end of the day, we do not dig into the word of, uh, of the Lord. Therefore, we don't know. So we accept anything and everything that anybody else says as truth, all because we may be too lazy to look at the word of God. Oh, I don't understand that stuff because of that old King James language. Well, pick yourself up an ESV, amen? This series will address a multiplicity of issues that we're going to walk through so many different issues over the next several weeks. Some, I know for a fact, it will make you uncomfortable. Uh, but all because uh, it has not been addressed uh, either over the pulpit or in our teaching or in our own personal study. So today's message, it is about that very issue. It is about confusion. The confusion we experience when we are instructed by the Lord to do something. But then uh, God, he tells us to do something and then we don't hear from him. And during that time that we don't hear from God, we think God has abandoned us. And then when we believe that God has abandoned us, uh, then we go and do our own thing. We say, because, you know, God didn't tell me the next thing to do, uh, that I decided to go ahead and do what I thought was the best thing. So what do you do? When you feel so confident uh, in your heart that God is moving you in this direction. Uh, you've heard the stories about people who say, well, God told me to do this. And then you turn around in another month or so. Now God is telling them to do something contrary. And then another month from that, God is telling them to do something else from there. And then God telling them to do something different from there. What do we do? Of course, we think about Abraham, whom, whom God said, I want you to get up, you and your family, and go to a land that I will show you. This was not an overnight trip. God did not give him a map and say, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. But he lived his life completely dependent upon the Lord. So do we stand strong? Or do we eventually we cave in and do our own thing? In other words... Do we have license to do our own thing when we have not heard from God? Okay. You see, some of you in here today, you've never heard from God. You've never heard from him. And the reason I believe you've never heard from God because you've never spent enough time in prayer and before his presence in reading his word to discern God's voice. So therefore, because you have never heard the voice of God, you think anyone else who's heard the voice of God is lying. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that God is speaking all the time. The problem is, we can't tell because of all the weeds in the world what God is telling us. There are plenty of things to be confused about, but let us today, let us get clear about obedience. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. 1 Samuel 13, beginning in verse 8. Scripture reads, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. Uh, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this afternoon that, you know, that sometimes the pressures of life can be so intense that we may want to move ahead of God's will. That there are some things that, that they press into your life so much so that we end up moving ahead of God's will. But I want you to know that waiting on God is not optional. Waiting on God is not optional. Uh, this is a particularly an important uh, topic for all of us in this room today. It's important because we face challenges every single day that threaten our testimony or threaten our harmonious walk with Jesus Christ every single day. So there may be a connection between what you are or not doing and, uh, and the causes what may end up happening is these unexpected consequences in our life. So here in our passage, we discover that Saul, and you remember who Saul was, that Saul was the first king of Israel, the very first king of the nation of Israel, that he was instructed by the prophet Samuel to travel to Gilgal and await uh, the prophet's arrival so he could offer burnt offering and peace offerings. Right? So it was not uh, King Saul who had to offer this, but it was the prophet Samuel who said, wait for me, and then when I get there, then I'm going to do it. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Would you take a look here, please? 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Now, this is uh, uh, the prophet Samuel's uh, instructions to King Saul. It says this, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Uh, so uh, Samuel says in verse 8, he says, maybe I'm coming to you. He says what? He says, I what? Uh, did he say that, you know, if I don't get there, then you go ahead and do your own thing. No, he says, he says that I'm coming. He says, so you shall do what? Seven days you shall do what? Wait. Wait, wait, wait. 
Samuel had given Saul several prophecies and instructions from which uh, I believe they came directly from God. So when, when the prophet was speaking to uh, uh, King Saul, these were words coming from God. Now, this was not just a man who was just walking down the street who was talking nonsense, uh, that King Saul knew that he was a mouthpiece of God. He knew this. So reading this larger context, we discover that the Spirit of the Lord, that it did come upon Saul. So everything that uh, the, the prophet Samuel mentioned there in chapter 10 that would happen to Saul, it all happened. It all happened. So King Saul, he moved through each phase just as Samuel said would happen. Then eventually leading up uh, to something really big. Uh, something really big would end up happening in our life. And I want you to know this, that sometimes in our life, that God, he gives us small victories in preparation for a larger victory. Amen? Uh, that a lot of times we don't have that really, really big thing because God is testing our faithfulness in small things along the way. So what ends up happening in our life, as God tests us in the small things along the way, he wants us to be faithful in those small things. Amen? So listen to this, listening to God. So therefore, when we listen to God, uh, pretty soon as we learn how God operates in our life, he starts to remove the small things. And then he gives us one big thing. He says, okay, uh, several times I've walked you to, uh, through a small thing here, a small thing here, a small thing here, and then there was a victory, right? A small thing here, a small thing. It all came to, uh, it all came to pass, a small thing here, and then there was a victory. He says, but you're going to have to learn to depend upon me. So therefore, I'm going to remove all those small things out the way, and all you have to do is wait on me. And I believe this was a place uh, that, that, that Saul found himself, uh, that he had to end up waiting on God just as Samuel had told him. So Samuel specifically instructed Saul to go to Gilgal, and when he got there, uh, that he would make the offering. By following these instructions, uh, King Saul knew exactly what he would do uh, coming up next. And you know, sometimes, uh, you know how we are as people, sometimes we get so excited about doing things uh, that we do some things without even thinking. Uh, I recall, I may have told you a story before, uh, about someone that I knew who decided to go out and buy themselves a brand new car. I said, wow, well, congratulations. And I asked them the great question. I said, so uh, you, I said, you took financing on your car? They said, yeah. I said, what was the interest rate? You know what they told me? They told me 30%. I said, how did that happen? And I think what ended up happening was they told me 30% because they really didn't know. And then when I started looking at the paperwork, I think I found like it was like 27 or 28% or something like that. I said, do you realize that they just ripped you off? And they're like, what? You see, sometimes we can get so excited about things that we don't read the fine print and we, ended up in a, we end up in a predicament. But I want you to know this about God, that we can trust God. That when God tells us to sign on the dotted line, that we know, we know that we will not end up in a negative predicament, that we know that things will turn out right with the Lord. Amen? So based on what we observed in Scripture, we can safely say that Samuel told King Saul, uh, that everything that Samuel told King Saul, that it came from God. 
So again, Saul waiting for Samuel was not an option. Never at any time did Samuel tell King Saul, you know, brother, you, you have a choice whether or not to do what I tell you to do. And this is the very reason why that you and I, that we must be absolutely certain that we heard from the Lord. Here it is. No sign from God does not mean to take matters in your own hand. Say it again. No sign from God does not mean to take matters in your own hands. So King Saul, uh, he seemed to wait for the appropriate amount of time, uh, but the pressure was on him. You know, I'm going to go ahead and wait those seven days, but, you know, there's so much pressure on or going on around me, but I don't know what I need to do. Here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. And the Philistines mustered, uh, mustered means to gather a bunch of uh, military personnel together in preparation for a battle, right? That's what mustered means, right? Uh, and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash. Uh, to the east of Beth Avin. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, Scripture says here, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, yet he was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling, right? So here it is, right? The great setup. Uh, the enemy formed against him 30,000 chariots, uh, 6,000 horsemen, and countless of foot soldiers, so many uh, that he could not count the amount of people coming after him. The scripture goes on to say, that the men of Israel, it says that they saw that they were in trouble. I'm here to tell you today that just because you are hard-pressed on every side, that does not mean that you're in trouble. Just because it seems like uh, you don't know where you're going to turn, that does not mean that that is the end of the line. No, 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 no. Uh, just because it seems like there is no other way out of your mess does not mean that there is no other way out. In every situation, hear me, in every trial, in every dead end that is present, remember that God always has the last word. Uh, I don't care what you're up against, uh, know this, that the Lord our God, he always has what? The last, in fact, God always has the first word, regardless of what you're going through. Regardless of the news that you have heard, that God always has the first and the last and the middle word. So these men, they looked at their situation and said there was not going to be a way for them to win. They felt like they were losers. Ain't got nowhere to turn. Ain't got nobody to help me. I'm standing here alone. You see... Uh, the moment we start giving up is the moment we start listening to the devil and not to God. 
So I want to tell you today, don't give up. Remain obedient to the Lord. It says that the men of Israel, they went and hid themselves in caves. <laughs> they went and hid themselves in holes. I can laugh because I wasn't there, right? In rocks. Look at this. That they went and hid themselves in graves. Can you imagine that? That you are so afraid of your life that you'd rather go and hide with dead folks? They hid themselves in cisterns, you know, storage places for water. And some, they just ran and ran and ran away from the land, far away. And then to top it all off, it says the people that they were trembling. So this was the first king of Israel. Now he's faced uh, uh, with this uh, prospect of an enemy coming after him, and he had no people to help him to fight. Everybody that was somebody had run away. And they had abandoned their posts instead of doing what? Looking to God. So the pressure was on. The pressure was on to do something. What pressure are you dealing with today? What wants to compromise your obedience to the Lord today? What is it? And then you know what happens. Our common sense kicks in. Our human wisdom tells us that are you going to uh, stand there? Are you going to do something? Or will you stand there like a big dummy? So here is Saul. I'm the first king of Israel. I can't just stand here and do nothing like a big dummy. So I got to do something. This was his moment. So of all the things that he did, he goes and makes a very serious mistake. And he makes an offering to the Lord. But come on, uh, come on. What could be so bad about giving God worship? Uh, this is what that was about. Uh, those of you who are on Wednesday nights, you understand to a degree what the burnt offering was and what the peace offering was. Amen? So what can be so wrong about offering worship to God? Remember Cain? Remember how he ended up uh, murdering his, his brother, Abel? Remember that? Why? It was because of his worship. Remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu, who were the sons of Aaron? Let's look at that uh, one more time again. Levit Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. You got to look at this. What difference does it make? If we give our worship, if we go to church, then that should be okay. If I go to church, that should be enough for God. Huh. Look at this right here. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered, here it is, unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and here it is, this was the result of their worship, and they died before the Lord. That was the result of their worship. I don't have time to exegete this passage, 
But just know that their worship was not right before God. So here Saul was, a King Saul, in this position. I'm the king of an entire nation, and I need to get to God. I know Samuel said X, Y, and Z, but I am going to offer my form of worship to the Lord. This is why we don't play with God. This is why we don't play with worship. And this is why we should not play church. Not bringing the right worship before the Lord could be affecting us in ways that we don't even realize. So if someone is pulling you and dragging you to church and you end up in church, know that this can somehow negatively impact your life. It would be better for you to just stay away. I hate to say that. As opposed to being phony. But yet if you're saying, okay, I'm going to go because I want to see what is it about that God says acceptable. Especially if you don't know. But I know you would probably say again, at least with King Saul, uh, he was trying to demonstrate this act of worship because when he looked at everybody else, everybody else was running scared. Nobody else stopped and said, let us worship God. They went and hid in tombs. They went and hid in, in cisterns and so on and so forth. That no one wanted to come before the Lord. That everybody ran. And then King Saul was the only one bold enough to stand up to say, I'm going to offer an offering of sacrifice to the Lord. It sounds really wise in our eyes. But it was not God's plan. Make sure your worship is right. Simply put, it was not what the Lord wanted from the very person who could lead the nation of God, who was called and appointed them out of all other nations on the face of the earth. That one of the things that's necessary of any leader within God's plan is obedience. So Saul, he goes ahead and he makes this offering. And while he's doing his thing, right, uh, feeling good, right, because ain't nobody else worship God, what happens? Samuel shows up. In my opinion, I believe Samuel still shows up on day seven. This is probably at the end of the day that Saul is probably saying to himself, Samuel is probably not going to show up. And this is day seven. There's no way in the world he's going to make it here. So let me go ahead and make this worship before the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 10. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, here is that word, behold. In other words, it's saying, take a look. Samuel came, and Saul went out to greet, went out to meet him, and also to greet him. So here is Saul now offering this unauthorized worship unto the Lord. And he sees Samuel. He's like, oh, hey, there's Samuel. There's, uh, there's our main prophet. Hey, what's going on? It seemed like everything was all right, knowing that it wasn't. Life does not go on as usual once your obedience has been compromised. Life does not go on as usual once your obedience has been compromised. I admit to you, right? I'm, I'm a person just like you are. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you that sometimes that <clears throat> life can be so intense that you want to move ahead of God's will because it looks like God is not doing anything. 
What do you do when you've been waiting, you've been crying out to God, and you've been waiting on him again and again and again? What do you do? Scripture says, Isaiah 40, they that wait upon what? Shall renew. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Interesting that uh, here excuses thrive when our obedience has been disregarded. So we start to offer excuses as to why we have not done what God has called us to do. What's your excuse? Well, you know, the reason I didn't pray to God today was because I just got so busy. Well, were you busy uh, while you were looking at TV? I was so busy today. Well, were you so busy while you were hitting all the apps on your phone? I didn't get a chance to really read scripture. Yeah, but, uh, you know, God, he gives us an opportunity. Excuses thrive when our obedience has been disregarded. First uh, Samuel chapter 13, verse 11 now. Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, and here it is. When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the appointed, the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I, here, look at this. You, you see these words? So I forced myself, right? His self told, Saul's self told him, you better go ahead and do it, and if you don't do it, I'm going to knock you out, right? Saul's self forced himself and he offered the burnt offering. Isn't it interesting that, interesting that when we don't do what we're supposed to do, that somehow we grasp for any kind of excuse? When you know you haven't done what you're supposed to do, then you pick some kind of excuse out of the air. Saul had three excuses. Why he did what he did. Number one, he said he did not wait because the people were scattered from him. In other words, he was starting to feel all alone. Man, been there, done that. Have you ever felt alone? Like there was nobody else around you? Like no one else cared for you? And all those folks who said that they would help you and that they would all show up, that you turn around and you look and there's nothing but air behind you? Saul, he said he felt alone because everybody had run away. Number two, he says, the reason uh, that I went ahead and didn't do what I was supposed to do was because of you, Samuel. It's very interesting that in original language, uh, you can't see this in our English translations, but in our original language, there is an emphatic usage of the word you, right? Uh, typically, uh, sort of like Greek, I've explained that to you before, uh, that typically when a word is used, it's typically used one time. So, uh, when you translate the passage out according to what you see in the actual Hebrew, this is what it says, right? Saul says this to Samuel. And you, you didn't come within the appointed days. So he uses the word you twice when you is, is only used once normally. So he says, and you, you didn't come when you said you were going to come. 
so the very person who instructed Saul what to do becomes the scapegoat. Have you ever done that before? When you know you haven't done what you're supposed to do, then all of a sudden you start blaming someone else. Man, as kids, we were really good for that. I'm not sure about you children in here today, but man, we were really quick in our house. When something went down in our house, oh, we were really quick. One of the things I used to do, uh, my, my go-to, my drip pan of excuses in the house was, Sonia did it. That was my sister. When something happened in the house, my parents come to me. I said, Sonia, she did it, uh-huh. I'm like, how did she do it? She wasn't even in the house. I said, oh, okay, in that case, so-and-so did it. Oh, we always try to blame someone else when we have not done what we were supposed to do. Then finally, uh, Saul says that the Philistines had gathered uh, a very large army. In fact, uh, this army, they had the latest military technology. This very large army with the latest military technology had come against us, so I had to do something. So I had to force myself to make a burnt offering. You know how it is with excuses, right? There's always a little bitty truth in our excuses, isn't there? And then you end up saying, well, I didn't really say that like that. This is what I said. But what we don't see in Saul is a heart of contrition or remorse. Saul, he never said after he was caught, he never said, Lord, okay, uh, I'm sorry for being disobedient. You know, I know, I, he should have said, I... I admit that, you know, Samuel, he told me to do X, Y, and Z. He told me to wait, and he told me that he would do it, but I did it, and I was wrong, 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 and wrong again. And, you know, part of our problem is that we don't know how to say, I'm sorry to the Lord. We don't have that heart of contrition. Recall how the Apostle John in 1 John informs us that we all have a, uh, a tendency to sin daily, even after we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even after we have given our lives to Christ, we are tempted uh, uh, with these daily little bitty sins in our life. But John says when this happens that we must do what? We must what? Confess our sins. It doesn't tell us that some believe that we need to go to a priest to do it. Uh, you, you can go to a priest and confess your sins. That's okay. But this is not the primary mode. The primary mode is for us to confess our sins before the Lord. So you actually do see in Scripture that you can confess it, our sins one to another. But also we see that we are to confess our sins before the Lord. It depends on where your heart is. There are some sins that you need to confess to somebody else. Amen? Because they weigh, end up weighing you down so much that you need the love and the compassion and the care of a brother and sister to lift you up in the midst of your life. Confession is a crucial discipline in every disciple's life. Know that the longer that we go without confession, the greater the distance grows between us and the Lord. So the longer that you do not confess, uh, you, you've seen it time and time again, uh, in, in the, uh, what are they called in the Catholic Church, confession, confessionals, right? Uh, uh, Father, forgive me, it has been you know, six years since I have uh, confessed my sins. Right? But you see, uh, the Lord gives us a ministry that every single day when we have not done right, that we can do it on the spot. 
We don't have to wait a year. We don't have to wait five years that we can do it on the spot because he says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So you don't have to wait. You can do it right now. In fact, some of you are right now. You have this thing that's running in the back of your mind. God is saying, confess now. Don't be like Saul. Confess now. The quicker we confess, the longer we stay in harmony with the Lord. We need this. Finally, that we may have to face the consequences of disobedience. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you under Christ we are not under condemnation but also know that disobedience carries a consequence so even though that we may go and we confess our sins before the Lord there are some things that we do that we have to deal with the consequence amen so for instance if you if if you end up mad at a police officer right and the police he pulls you over on the street and you curse him out Right? And you say, Lord, uh, forgive me. My mouth was not right because I, I did what was wrong. And that police officer said, really? Okay. Well, here's your ticket and here's your day in court. And then you show up in court and then you have to pay a fine. You see, there are, there are some times in our life in which God, he simply says this, even though that you confess your sin, that sometimes there is a consequence of your sin. But I want you to know that God does not condemn you for the rest of your life. The Lord wanted to establish great things in the life of Saul. But his actions circumvented that plan. And know that the Lord will never go against your will to accomplish his goal. God wants to use you, but he will never go against your will to accomplish his goal. In other words, if you don't want to work with the Lord to accomplish his will, uh, then he will find someone else who has a will to do it. God wants to use you, but if you don't want to do it, he'll find someone else. So Saul, uh, he was in that position, and the Lord would have established his kingdom forever, but because he didn't want that, and in my opinion also because he did not offer up confession before the Lord, God says, and I'm going to use someone else. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, this is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And I said to him, Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, that if you're going to be serious about me, follow me, but know that it's not going to be a bed of roses. Verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And I said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, uh, this, uh, as far as what he needed to do, he would end ended up for, for probably for months and months and months uh, doing this activity. Uh, so Jesus, he knew this. Uh, and then in verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And I said to him, uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So once you get started, then you stay down that you stay down that lane. We know that life is all about choices. But there's some things in our life we only get one shot at. Only one. God will not love you any less if you say no. But I believe that one day we will cringe at the opportunity we had to serve the Lord in a significant manner. That's right. Disobedience is sinfulness and is missed opportunities for doing something impactful for the kingdom of God and eternal. Face it, <clears throat> for most of us, the things that you do from day to day, that they are not eternal. That after you would have spent working 50 and 60 and 70 hours on your job, and after you finish spending that money that you get that check, like that's it. That's it. But God says, following me has an eternal impact. I'm sure that God loves Saul like he loved everybody of that nation. But please remember that the Lord is not trying to condemn anyone today, <clears throat> but to bring correction, clarity to this aspect of, of obedience. So even if you have missed an opportunity, Psalm 84 and 10 says that for one day in your court is better than a thousand's elsewhere. Psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Uh, in other words, he says, I'd rather be opening and closing the door to God's church every single day than to live inside in what seems to be comfort of the wicked every day. Let's remember though that even though we are under the grace of God in Christ Jesus, it does not eliminate uh, the necessity of walking in obedience. Grace does not excuse your disobedience. You cannot say, I'm walking into grace and continue to live in sin. We know that this world is truly a ball of confusion. If you have not been straightened out by Jesus Christ and understand the clarity found in the obedience of following him faithfully, then this world truly is a ball of confusion. This afternoon, don't be confused about following God. God's word is eternal, God's word is true, and guess what? God's word is for you. Let us pray. <clears throat> so Father, we thank you. My prayer, Lord God, that many has, have uh, moved beyond this point of confusion in their life, and they would have stepped up to the plate, not to be like Saul, to move ahead of your will, but to move in tandem with your will at the right time, doing the right thing. 